Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, we're going to give this a shot today. The last time the Mac and Mac guys got together on Monday, uh, Tuesday was, because, yes, I was off on Monday. Uh, Comcast kind of pulled the plug on us. I thought we had that 15 minutes of good uh, eagle conversation oh, it was ramping up too it's Getting... still up there on the site if you want to go check it out we plan on giving you the full two hours today yeah no internet breakdowns we'll see cross our fingers you never really outside of our control yeah. uh with john mcmullen and jody mcdonald planning on being here for you for the next couple hours and we'll mainly deal with the broncos and eagles coming up on sunday it might be a little <coughs> issue left over from uh, the Thursday matchup, and certainly the overall opinion that we have on the Philadelphia Eagles and the direction they're going is what we're going to do. Uh, be talking about for the next two hours. Johnny Mack, you didn't get a chance to talk to about see Eagles significant guys that practiced yesterday. A larger list on those that did not participate in yesterday's practice. Precautionary, or should we have some worries here about the game coming up against the Broncos on Sunday? A little bit of both, I think. Obviously, you know, throughout the season, they've gone through this with Fletcher Cox and Lane Johnson, Jason Kelsey. Those guys are just resting, trying to get them through practice, through the season. We're at that point. I mean, you know, week 10, you're going to be banged up. So uh, a lot of guys didn't practice, as you mentioned. Avante Maddox, uh, Darius Slay got injured against the Chargers, so that was no surprise. We knew Josh Sweat was going to be in the concussion protocol. I, I do think there was a positive. Darius Slay talks. Uh, he's first. He's the leadoff hitter every Wednesday when the players talked, uh, and he did speak. So that, to me, is a really good indication that he plans on playing so that's one positive note and and then the surprise i think was rodney mcleod showing up and didn't practice had a neck injury uh so that's one you have to keep an eye on i think that's the biggest one um and Devonte smith showing up with a little bit of an elbow was limited but he's gonna play so just the normal banged up situation after 10 games in the NFL after nine games, I would say. Get it with the veteran guys. Uh, this is not anything new. This goes back to previous Eagles coaches that when a guy gets to a certain age and experience that they go easy on him. If there's any kind of Nick or anything, shoot, sometimes the guy's probably hundred percent healthy and they don't even participate. And it is purely a rest day. Uh, both uh, Cox and Hargrave out of yesterday's, practice completely we know Fletcher's getting up there Hargrave a little bit younger um the Eagles defensive line rightfully so is coming under some pretty good scrutiny uh because they haven't uh, been productive uh, for the last five weeks except for the one big week against the woebegotten Lions they really haven't done anything um anything to read into Hargrave and Cox both being out on the same day of practice no that's the way it has been in fact you know from Javon's perspective perspective he showed up on the injury report uh, uh, a couple weeks ago was banged up so it's the same type of thing they're trying to get him to the game 
as healthy as possible. But I do think it's indicative of, look, that guy was playing like an all pro for the first month of the season um, and anything, but for basically the last month. So um, you have to wonder, um, is, is that shoulder hampering him a little bit more uh, than has been let on. So he's trying to play through it. And I always talk about players, you know, that's why coaches have tremendous respect because, you know, if guys play through things like that and Javon Hargrave presses through and he doesn't look as good and he starts taking some hits, but he's doing something for his team and you don't add that context into it. Uh, sometimes they take a lot of, uh, uh, of, of hits. And I think you're seeing that with that defensive line with him particularly, and he hasn't been good uh, the last few weeks. And the only thing I can come up with is, is that shoulder injury. I don't, I don't think he's healthy. His shoulder is certainly a distinct possibility. The other one is, and uh, yeah, you need to watch, the all 22 and the breakdown of exactly how things are going, not something that an Eagle fan can pick up on a Sunday broadcast over the air uh, network. How much is he actually being double teamed? Uh, a lot was made when Fletcher Cox wasn't making plays early in the season and Hargrave was getting to the quarterback, getting sacks and the like. Well, they double team Fletcher on every play. That Fletcher's always facing a double team. But everyone knows he's one of the best defensive tackles in the NFL. So the opposition makes sure that they're not going to get beat by Fletcher Cox, which kind of opens things up for Hargrave. Um, after Hargrave was up in the leadership of sacks after four or five or six weeks of this season, certainly uh, the other teams got to notice that when they're breaking down film. And so we got to give this guy respect and we got to make sure he doesn't beat us. Um, do you think there's some of that, that the, if you're looking for that swing guy, who's going to get the double team duties on someone along the Eagle offensive line, has it been more Jason Hargrave than it was earlier in the season? Uh, yeah, definitely more. Um, I, I would still say Fletcher gets more of the sliding protections uh, than Javon does, but it, it certainly amped up. It's it's closer than it was at the start of the season. Um, but I think that's going to start to change back if, if Javon continues to perform the way he's performing. Um, I think the biggest issue has been in the run game. Um, where he's graded out as really one of the worst defensive tackles in the league, which is a bit of a surprise, again, because he came in from Pittsburgh, and that was more of his reputation uh, than anything else. So that's why you kind of – when these weird kind of things happen, you start looking for reasons, and it's the only reason I can come up with. I mean, when you're trying to – to occupy blockers and trying to stop the run, you need your shoulders as a powerful defensive tackle. And he's trying to get through it. And he's trying to play through it. Um, and I think it's affected his play. And uh, one of the things we do each and every single Monday this week, we're going to do it on Tuesday. I'm sure you and uh, Jeff Carr did it uh, somewhat on Monday is to analyze the uh, snaps that each guy gets. They're not cutting back on Fletcher and Hargrave snaps. Um, you're seeing very few spots in there for the Milt Williams and Son Ridgeways. Um, they're they're leaning on their two top defensive tackles a lot. So that's why I'm not sure. And they're not going to tell us. We just have to try and 
uh, do our own best guesstimating and try and judge things like skipping practice on a uh, Wednesday as to how injured um, a guy like Jason Hargrave is. They're not showing that he's playing with injury by the number of snaps they're asking him to play, J.M. No, and he's not going to make excuses. He hasn't brought it up, and that's why I said that's a lot of times, you know, when coaches respect players, that's one of the reasons, you know, that's one of the gold stars, so to speak, you know, because if they think that your your backup in this case, it would be, as you mentioned, probably in Javon's more Hassan Ridgeway, who's not played well either, you know, the thought process is probably even Javon at, 80 percent you make up a number is better than Hassan Ridgeway and he's going out there and performing instead of saying look I'm I'm not you know comfortable with the way I'm playing uh up to my level and you could say I just can't go so coaches tend to have a lot of respect for players like that um and they should um but yeah it's 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 one of those (laughs) we we talk about grades a lot and player grades and pro football focus it's one of those things where it's a really big fly in the ointment you know because nobody knows what someone's going to especially going through now when it's evident and people are missing games and you know they're hurt but there's so many players in this league that play through injuries that really affect their performance and they're playing through injuries because their coaches think that they have a better chance to win even with them at a lesser uh, uh, optimal, you know, performance from a health standpoint. And it affects their play on the grade. And and I bring up Javon for a specific reason, because he was so good in the first three, four weeks of the season. Yep. And then it's fallen off a table. So it's not like the guy forgot how to play. It's not that the guy lost his talent. I mean, there's got to be something and I can't come up with anything other than the injury and probably is significant injury, but I think the other teams haven't gotten wise and given them a little bit more attention. Uh, so I was watching NBC sports fairly before I came on this morning uh, on their uh, sports center like show. And on Wednesday, they do a feature ready Seth go with our buddy Seth Joyner comes on and uh, gives him an eagle analysis uh, middle of the week, looking back at the uh, previous game and looking ahead at the uh, next game. And he made a point that's been well uh, talked about for decades here in the National Football League. The combination of critiquing a team's defense with the defensive line and the secondary and how sometimes it's secondary can make a defensive backfield look great or a defensive backfield can make a, uh, defensive line look great and vice versa with one could be struggling and the other one ends up paying the price. And it's one of those chicken and the egg, which comes first is the defensive line hurting the defensive backfield or is the defensive backfield making it look like the defensive line isn't producing. It's a really legitimate question about the Philadelphia Eagles. And most people you're truly included have been more, um, critical of the defensive line and the defensive uh, secondary. And set point today was that, it, you know, it really is both. It's not just one that's making it worse on the other, that the secondary isn't great and the defensive line isn't great and they're kind of causing issues for each other. And I, I thought that was an astute, non-point uh, point of view, which not enough of us have taken. 
have the Eagles given up the big play in the secondary? No, they have not. No. That's the design of Jonathan Scannon's defense is to make sure that they don't give up the big play. But they give up play after play after play after play after play. I don't have to restate the 80% completion of the quarterbacks, do I? Well, that's the cornerback's job is to keep that from happening. Get your hand in and defend the pass every once in a while. They don't because there's a lot of cushion in that zone defense on the outside. Now they've got a couple of guys who ended up hurt last week, but look at it. You just said Slay said he's a go for Saturday for sure, for Sunday for sure against the Broncos. Have we, I don't want to say under critiqued, well, yeah, I do, under criticized the Eagles' secondary, specifically all three of the cornerbacks, including Maddox in the slide. Have we given them a little bit too much of a break and just ch- uh, chalked it up to, well, that's Gannon's defense, and uh, they, they're doing a the job. Uh, they, they're just not giving up any big plays, so that's them getting it done. Or is it really, John? Um, no, I, I, and I've pretty much said I, I think the cornerbacks have been probably the biggest surprise on this team as a whole, more than – and by the way, just real quick on Darius, uh, he didn't say he was going to play. That was just – because he talked on Wednesday, that's a good sign to okay. me that he's going to try to play. But I just wanted to clarify that. But um, I I think the corners have been really, really good. And I expect that out of Darius. But I didn't expect it out of Steve Nelson and Avante Maddox. Um, and uh, I think they've done better than expected. So when you come into the season and say, okay, who's underperforming, who's overperforming, I would put those two guys in the overperforming from what I thought they would be category. Um, you know, TJ Edwards did a great job on this, talking about this yesterday and wrote about it for Sports Illustrated. He kind of put it on, you know, on himself and the linebackers. Now, when you're playing the philosophy, so you, you it, you can kill the philosophy and people, you know, feel free. But uh, when you talk about in the philosophy, what they're trying to accomplish and, and, you know, the defensive line is not able to get home because the ball's getting out in, you know, two seconds and the first read is always there. But Jonathan Gannon is telling his cornerbacks, all right, the quickest way to get beat is the ball going over your head. So you're limiting explosive plays. You're accomplishing that part of the defense. So who's got to take away those first reads in that zone coverage? It's got to be the linebackers. And the linebackers are probably the weakest point of this team. So there's kind of a a two-pronged thing here. You can kill the defensive coordinator and say, why are you putting so much uh, on the plate of linebackers that aren't very good, to be honest? And that's fair. That's a fair critique. Um, But if you're just talking about what's going on on the field and you're saying, okay, who's not doing their job? I think first and foremost, it goes to the linebackers. Now it's been a little bit better now that TJ Edwards is in there, uh, but that's only really two weeks. Um, and, And then the safeties after that who have performed pretty poorly with the exception of Marcus Epps. You know, I was thinking about this. I was talking to some other reporters and I said, the best linebacker on this team is TJ Edwards and the best safety has been Marcus Epps. Nothing against those two guys, but you know, that's not Ray Lewis and Ed Reed. Let's put it that way. Um, So you're up against it from a personnel standpoint in the back seven. So where I think people 
are valid in their criticism. I don't think they're necessarily valid in their criticism of Jonathan Gannon. Where they could be is he's got to realize that and say, all right, I got to do a better job of not asking whether it's TJ or Alex Singleton or Davion Taylor, ask him not to do things they can't accomplish and they're not going to accomplish anyway. So I got to figure out a a better way to do that. And, you know, they're playing the Denver Broncos this week, Jody. Now you look at the Denver Broncos. I got to tell you, they just traded Von Miller. We all know Von Miller, tremendous player. He's gone. You know, Justin Simmons is really good safety. That's a top 10 defense, and that's a top 10 defense in basically every single category. I mean, amazingly consistent. And they don't have a lot of stars on that defense. You look at the names and you go, how the hell is Vic Fangio accomplishing this with this group? And we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show uh, with with somebody on the inside, because I'm interested, because I look at the names and I go, this is stinking impressive. Um, so I think that's where people should focus the criticism on Jonathan Gannon. But if I look at what the players are being asked to do, I, I think the corners have overperformed. Okay. And you need to get game film to be able to see how far they're backing off on every single play and giving cushion and allowing the receivers to make plays and then reacting, being reactive rather than proactive. If you tell me that, hey, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do, Darius Slay and Nelson and uh, Maddox, at least, see, it seems to me maybe that's because the uh, position that he's playing the slide, he gets his hands on the ball every once in a while. And I think he's a better tackler than either Nelson and or uh, Slay. So that's why if I was just using my own evaluation to grade out the cornerbacks, I actually think Mac has been the best cornerback on his team this year. But there's a lot that goes into that. Yeah, Jonathan, get him up and start to play some press. Uh, Have we not seen enough? I know there's an overall philosophy. I know he comes from the Zimmer tree, and that's the way Zimmer has played for a lot of different years. But at some point, and well, that's more- the ironic part. No, it, it's really not. Um, Zimmer is always one of the more aggressive defensive coordinators. Um, you know, he's you know the blitz doctor, whatever you want to call it, the a gap guy, the overload blitz guy. Um, he, but again, he's he's had, you know, he's had the one player, you know, Gannon always tell me was the linchpin to Zimmer in Minnesota is Anthony Barr. And he's a really smart player, he's a really athletic player. Um, you know, trade standpoint, I don't know, he's 10th pick in the draft, really high draft pick, uh, really good player, um, defends the run, defends the pass, great pass rusher. You can move them all over, chess piece. And then he's got Harrison Smith on the back end. So Jonathan talked about this um, when he was talking about pre-snap disguises. I asked him the question. He was specifically talking about Harrison Smith. He mentioned Minnesota. He was talking about a safety being on the line of scrimmage and rotating back. They do that in Minnesota because they got a guy who can do it when he's not on the COVID list. Um, They don't have people who can do that kind of stuff here. So it goes into the more of the the, the cloud coverage, 
the shell philosophy. And then you get, you know, Seth's talking about defensive line. There's always a blend. He's right about that. There's a blend of personnel and scheme. And the personnel on this team is not ready for any scheme. I, you know, look, you've heard this, Jody. I'm sure you get it on WIP. I'm sure you get the calls. I'm sure you get all of that and saying this is the worst defense in Eagles history. So I, I, I went back. This defense isn't worse than last year's defense. They're slightly better, slightly better. It's like 363 yards a game down to 355, 26 points down to 24 points. Not great, just better than last year's, which obviously the train fell off the tracks last year. You want to be much better than last year. But my point is, it's not even worse than last year's no. defense. And then you look at the NFL as a whole, where they are, they're ranked 15th in the NFL in defense. 15th. That's me. <laughs> There's 32 teams in this league. Now it's worse points per game. It's 20th. It's not great by any stretch of the imagination. But those people with those kind of criticism, they're just over the stinking top. I mean, they don't know what's going on in the NFL as a whole. Here's where my critique lies of Jonathan Gannon. Um, if you and and Gannon said this, and I tip my hat to him when he said it. The problem is he hasn't lived up to his own words. That he wanted to build a defense, scheme wise, philosophy wise, that got the most out of the attributes that his players had. That he wasn't going to come in and just put his system in place and make the square pit peg fit the round hole and i think that's the best way to have success in the national football league is to be able to evaluate your talent correctly and mold a scheme that not only gives you what you want and you stay true to your core tenants and values but also gives the players the chance to do what they're capable of doing not asking them to do something they can't do. The whole Minnesota comparison thing, put a safety up on the line and still be able to get back on the back end and cover. If they don't have that type of safety, you don't do that, <laughs> which Jonathan Gannon doesn't, and good for him in that way. But Darius Slay and Steven Nelson, I think both are guys who are capable of playing man-to-man press uh, coverage. Uh, I think they're both. Of that level that you can do it. You're going to get burnt once in a while. Everybody does. You, you live in, uh, by man-to-man press coverage. You're going to die by man-to-man press coverage every once in a while, too. Giving up a 60-yard touchdown is not going to end the season. If you could actually get some three and outs, where you get on a uh, third down, a tipped pass, a hand on a ball, knock it out of the receiver's hand. Oh, my God, they've got a punt. You mean they don't get four first downs in a possession? Mm. I think you got to be able to mix that in. And to this point, Jonathan Gannon hasn't done it. He did it against the Lions because the Lions. He did it against the Lions. He did it against the Chargers. They played more single high against the Chargers than any other time this season. More blitzes against the Chargers than any time this season. Uh, Didn't work. uh, So nobody noticed. Uh, Happened more early in the game than late in the game. And that's because they lost Avante Maddox and then Darius Slay as well. So, um, all these things come into it, but I think you hit the nail on the head, Jody. People have a problem with the philosophy, and we talked about Philadelphia Prayer. They want Blitzing. They want uh, Buddy Ryan. They want uh, uh, Bud Carson. They want uh, Jim Johnson. They want a more aggressive style of defense. That's what it comes down to. They want Blitzing. They 
blitzing. But I also know, and you know, because you've been in this town longer than me doing this. I also know that when they get blitzing and it doesn't work, look at the double moves in Jalen Mills, who I thought was, you know, if anything, an overachiever that this town should have loved. Um, and a lot of people did. I'm not crucifying everybody. Um, you know, when he would get killed on those double moves, they would they would just say, that's awful. You can't do that. Blah, blah. You know, it's it, it, it does, you can't win. I mean, it, it, the only thing that wins – in, in, in critics' mind, is success in winning football games and putting uh, the best defense on the field. They're far from the best. They're also far from the worst. And I think that's kind of lost. And when you add in, like, I you know, if I say T.J. Edwards is, is the best linebacker on the Philadelphia Eagles, I think everybody agrees with me now. Go find another team in this league that doesn't have a linebacker better than T.J. Edwards. Nothing against T.J. And when I say Marcus Epps, now people will argue and say, no, Rodney McLeod's better. I'm saying this year, Marcus Epps has been the Eagles' best safety and really deserves to be on the field more, if anything, than else. I'm not talking about the past or anything of that nature. Same type of thing. Go around the league and and find me a team that doesn't have a better safety than what the Eagles can put out there, whoever you want to describe. Is is the best safety on this team? Look at Denver, Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson. I mean, you know, I, there there is a personnel issue here, and Howie Roseman is going to be at Pitt, North Carolina, to look at the quarterbacks. I don't know if there's any defensive players on those two particular teams. I don't delve into the draft yeah, that much neither one of them are great defensive yeah. teams i can tell well, you he right better now, start yeah. looking at some stinking defensive players because it's been a while since this team has drafted an impact defensive player all right we'll come back i i want to follow up with what john was just talking about about more specifically linebacker we'll talk safety too but the linebacker position there's a history of it here in Philadelphia, and it predates Howie Roseman and Joe Batten. You can go all the way back predates 30 Shepard years. Lawrence. Yeah, Cherry 30 Robinson. 30 years since the last time they took a linebacker in the first round. Like, not one, not two. As of right now, three first-round draft picks. And John continues to say, and I, I, I got to admit, I agree with him. Ken's on they're not going to take all three guys. It depends on where they fall. They may end up trying to move one and be able to get a future first and another secondary pick added to it. But the minimum of two first-round picks, could one of them actually be linebacker in this year's upcoming draft? I'll talk about that with Johnny Mack coming back. He did mention a little later in the show. going to have a uh, buddy of mine on. Brandon Cristal is a reporter anchor for KOA out in Denver. He's been covering the Broncos for the last several years. Uh, good dude, knows his football inside and out, and is very tied in to the Bronco organization. Uh, Brandon's going to join us in hour number two. We'll come back with more here on Birds 365 in just a minute.
At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder. And it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Basketball is part of how we grew up in this city. And every morning, IBEW Local 98 members take their best shot building this city, rescuing our community from decay and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are, like the Hawks who will never die. Local 98 members love tradition. John Doherty, business manager of Local 98, says it this way. The best way not to forget where you come from is to never leave. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. We are the Mac and Mac guys. He's John McMullen. I'm Joe McDonald. Uh, hanging with you on Birds 365. We're counting down the days to a trip to Denver where the Eagles go out and take on the Broncos. All time, Johnny Mac. Broncos, Eagles. Who do you think's got the advantage? All time? Uh, yeah, they don't play each other that much. Uh, I guess that. By Thursday, I should have looked at this, Jody. I'm going to say... I, I looked at it about uh, 45 minutes ago, so... Uh... Uh, I'm going I'm to say Broncos with a slight edge. The Eagles oh. have won 8 of 13 matchups over the years against the Broncos. I got I to think that's been more recent. Uh... Um, yeah, a little bit. Uh, the one thing that I do have to add to the conversation is the last three times the Eagles traveled out to denver they have come up on the short end of the score and that of course is where this sunday's game is going to be played so eagles have won eight of 13 uh over the course of the years against the broncos they've lost three in a row out there uh, and i i threw it out there just because it's a fun stat to talk about they uh, beat the broncos during the super bowl year four years oh yeah ago, they crushed them 2017. that was a big game you know what i remember about that game because we're talking about player grades. The Eagles destroyed them in that game. Uh, I don't know. They scored 50 hung, or something. Hung a 50-burger on them, yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I remember 
uh, pro football focus graded Von Miller that week as like the best player in the NFL. And Eagles fans just lost their minds because, you know, they're showing the highlights. And it was really just a great game plan in that the the Eagles used Miller's uh, talents against them in that, you know, it was sort of like people like uh, play Aaron Donald like that a lot. They know they can't block him, so they just sort of let him go upfield and 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 work in behind him and and assume the other players aren't going to be able to carry their own water. So it, it was kind of both right, but you know, when you get beat fifty-one to twenty-three and somebody's saying, "Oh, this guy's great," people people aren't getting that. They got really really upset about that. That I always that always stuck with me. Our old friend Carson Wentz threw four touchdown passes in that game. The long-since-forgotten Carson Wentz. Uh, and that was one of the games on the way to the Super Bowl. But that was here in Philadelphia. They have lost the uh, last three times. They've gone back out, back out to Denver. But this, and we see too much evidence of this so far this year, this isn't the 2017 Eagles that won the Super Bowl. No. So if you want to compare these two teams by what they had done previously against each other, it does kind of get irrelevant uh, pretty quickly, as a matter of fact. And I only play once every four years as an intra-conference game. The Eagles are a two-and-a-half-point underdog, John. Yeah, it that's op- a bit strange to me. Yeah, that it is- opened at three and is ticked down. Um, I, If I was uh, prognosticating or guessing on which way I thought it was going to move, I thought there was a better chance it would move up to three-and-a-half then down to two and a half. That's why I thought it was going to be right around a field goal. We're not talking about a major movement here either way, but I, I would have suggested it would more likely go up than come back down uh, where you read, a lot of different people read different things into that. If you want to believe that smart money is moving the line, well, then smart money is saying the Eagles are better than a three-point underdog as of right now. That's kind of the way I'm looking at it. Um, but it's right around where it should be. The Broncos, a three-point favorite. These two teams, although the Eagles are three and six and the Broncos are five and four, if you believe that home field advantage usually accounts for three points on the line, that means these are two very evenly matched uh, matched teams in a toss-up game before they kick off on Sunday. Well, yeah, and that's what I'm wondering. So what is what do the gamblers know about this Denver team and and what I said, I mean, if you look at the talent, you don't see a ton of talent. Um, so maybe they're overachieving uh, a little bit and you expect that to regress a little bit to the mean. And then I think you're coming off. The Eagles have been much more competitive over the past couple of weeks. But what is that about? Is that about the opponent? Certainly it was about the opponent in Detroit. Um you know, better matchup against the Chargers because they're the worst team in football defending the run, and that proved to be true. Eagles ran the ball effectively again. To me about this game, Jody, I'm I'm saying right off the bat, obviously we're not going to make our picks today, but to me more interesting than the picks is how are the Eagles, how is Nick Sirianni, we've been talking defense, how are they going to play this game? Because it's so interesting to me. They morphed, let's be honest. Early in the season, they were read option, spread, you know, all the ugliness after the beginning with the bubble screens. Those have gone away to traditional play action, run the football. Right when Las Vegas, Detroit, 
and the Chargers showed up on the schedule. If you look at uh, the Raiders are, I think, 28. Lions are 29. Chargers are dead last, 32 against the run. So, smart thing to do from Nick Sirianni. Well, now you got Denver, who's top 10. I think they're sixth against the run. What What is this offense going to look like? What are we going back to the original thought process? Thought process? Are we going to try to run against what has been a strength uh, of Denver? It's very interesting to me. Yeah, and I don't think we know. Uh, I'm not sure that Nick Sirianni knows yet. I think he will make that up between well, better now. now and you got to have the game plan in by this point. He okay. knows what he's going to do. I don't know what he's going to do. I think it's going to be interesting. I think he's certainly leaning on certain things and ways, but uh, he probably not formulated till a little bit closer to game time. Um, I do want to talk about the Eagle offense, but I got a defensive question for you first and not specifically about the Eagle defense, but what they're matched up against. Um, it was only two years ago that the Broncos used one first round pick. And I believe KJ Hamler was a second. He might've been a third round pick. I should have looked that up. My bad. Um, two relatively high picks in the draft on talented wide receivers coming out of college. And I go, damn, they're investing in their wide receiver core and they got a chance to be good. Didn't know who their quarterback's going to be, but I said, oh, he's got some weapons to deal with. Now this Denver offense should be much improved. Jerry Judy has been a disappointment. Uh, I'm sorry, Alabama fan. Sorry, Xander. Uh, any Alabama fans. That's not uh, allowed. That's not uh, it is surely allowed uh, because the facts are the facts and the numbers are the numbers. He, at least I, I had high expectations of him. Uh, so he hasn't lived up to those expectations and Hamler has been hurt. I think he's IR. I think he's done for the year. As a matter of fact, uh, yeah, he's on IR possession receiver from Penn state also hasn't exactly wowed anybody in his year and a half. And there are some explanations for it so far in the national football league. But Cortland Sutton has stepped up big time for them. He's a good player, man. He's he, he's... he really is. And Tim Patrick. Yeah. I, I remember when he was drafted a couple of years ago out of Utah, the mediocre wide receiver. Right, he can be a possession guy. Maybe he can make some play. He's been damn good for them the last couple of years. <laughs> yeah. I thought he was tumbling down the depth chart after they used those draft resources to get uh, both uh, Judy and Hammer. He's probably their biggest play receiver. I did not see this one coming. So, if John, you're right about the Eagles wide receiver, the Eagles cornerbacks uh, being the strength of the team. Well, they've got their work cut out for him because a guy like Patrick can catch the ball. If you're going to let him catch the ball, and he's also a big guy who can make a little bit of a play afterwards, that does concern me going into this matchup this weekend. Yeah, they've been, and and Cortland Sutton is is a, a really big receiver. I mean, really big receiver as well. So the it's one of those weeks where you have the big physical guys, and and you know maybe you don't have to worry about uh, the deep passes as much. The people running by you, the ball going over the top of your head. Also, the quarterback. I mean, Teddy Bridgewater is. Um, you know, check down Teddy, you know, 70%. So against the Eagles, that projects to be 95%. <laughs> he comes in 70% against everybody. But a lot of that is uh, check downs, and he's going to take the underneath stuff. So 
uh, maybe this opponent gives you a little bit more of an opportunity uh, to be aggressive. They have good players, but again, in the tight end as well, Noah Fant, who is a really good player, but just got off the COVID list, I think, so he's going to play, but he he's not that big play Kelsey, you know, type that's going to go down the field. Uh, more of a probably TJ Hawkinson like level that you saw in Detroit where you saw a ton of receptions, but not that much yardage. Um, so maybe this, this works out a little bit, this group offensively for what the Eagles are trying to accomplish defensively. Yeah. I, uh, I actually thought Patrick was the bigger of the two. They're, rel- they're relatively the same. Oh, Sutton's huge. Yeah. He's Patrick, big six foot four, two twelve. Sutton six foot four two sixteen. So they list yeah. Sutton as four more pounds than Patrick. But I remember Patrick watching him play at Utah, and he was very good at going up and getting the ball, high pointing the ball, and just making catches over shorter uh, defensive back there trying to play it. Yeah, they got a pair of these guys. Judy's not a, a little guy; is six foot one, and he is the little guy of their wide receivers compared to those other two. Um, you better hope that Darius Slay and uh, Nelson are up and ready to go and, and Maddox in the slot as well by the time the game rolls around because uh, that's how Teddy Bridgewater has had a pretty good year so far this year. Those checkdowns, those big wide receivers, those quick hitting plays were only a couple of days removed from watching Herbert do that, get the ball out of his hands in only two seconds, get it to his wide receivers, let him make a play. You were going to see a lot more of that this week against the Broncos, John. Yeah, probably until the Eagles stop it. I mean, that's – and certainly with this quarterback, we've said, I mean, you know, Herbert's capable of gashing you down the field. Teddy, probably not as much. Um, so, again, you don't have that uh, other aspect where you can be concerned um, about him really going over the top and throwing the football consistently down the field. He doesn't want to do that. Uh, it's not the strength of his game, so – you know, you got to use that kind of stuff to your advantage. All right, let's jump back over to the Eagles offense. You mentioned that uh, maybe the matchup this week will strike more of a balance with the Eagles because they came into the Lion game, and uh, I was impressed. I think you were impressed with Nick Sirianni that uh, he, although up until that point looked like a pass-happy play caller, knew they could run the ball against the Lions even without their number one running back. I was then going to call him that until he is supplanted when he's got the option to not play if the Eagles don't uh, hand the ball. Um, With his secondary run game in place, ran it, ran it effectively, ran it to a big victory and came back and did the same again this week. Didn't know if that was going to be a one-hit wonder. It wasn't. They ran it effectively against the uh, Chargers again because statistically they were the worst team in the National Football League against the run. The Broncos aren't. So are we going to see more of a balance? And there are a lot of different ways you can analyze, take the analytics and and put it to a game plan afterwards and see how it comes out. Um, I I was a little disappointed that Jalen Hurts only threw it 17 times last week. Now, that is something that you need to analyze the game and the way it's playing and the way, the fact that they didn't get the ball back for the last six minutes, took away from the possibility of passing the ball late in the game, maybe winning the game. But just overall, end of the game, you can look at some numbers. Jalen Hurts only throwing it 17 times doesn't seem to be enough with me. Last week, 
the week before, I should say. When they played the Lions, they only threw it 14 times, but that was okay because they were up by 20 points, 25 points. You're going to run the football. You're going to move that clock as much as possible to get the game over and done with and get back on a victorious plane ride home. I still think the coach is trying to find that balance between the run and the pass. I don't think they're in their groove just yet. I don't think they're in that absolutely perfect balance of run and pass, as you suggested just a couple minutes ago. Maybe they better be this week because if they try and overrun it, we could see a couple of stops and off the field pretty darn quickly because the Broncos are uh, pretty darn good at, at stopping the run. Uh, you got faith that Nick is going to be able to find that perfect blend, perfect balance of run-pass ratio this weekend? Well, I, you know, I'm not as big as a, a run-pass ratio coming into the game as some people because I think, you know, games have personalities, and that's defined by kind of what you said. I mean, if the other team siphons six minutes off the clock, it's going to affect – uh, everything. And when you have that huge time of pos- possession advantage and long drives and everything gets limited, all that comes into it. If you're, you know, I always say, if you're, you're winning the game by two touchdowns, Detroit, perfect example, uh, far more than that. The Eagles didn't throw the football at all. Why would you, uh, you don't have to, um, you go to Kansas City when they're behind early, he throws it 48 times. So that's kind of uh, – I'm not worried as much about the balance as uh, what you're trying to accomplish. Like early in the season, what I'm trying to say by that, I think the Eagles would get behind. I think Nick Sirianni would panic a little bit and would be, all right, let's forget about this. we got to try to get back. Let's throw the football, throw the football, throw the football – Got to be a little bit more disciplined, even if you do get behind in the game. Um, but yeah, I mean, he he has shifted. He has completely shifted this offense. So when you talk about um, Jonathan Gannon saying, I don't like to have a scheme, Nick Sirianni has said similar things. He's telling the truth. I mean, <laughs> this is a completely different offense over the past three weeks, the games of this season. Um and my, I guess the bigger question, there's, well, there's two questions. How do you beat Denver, which is the less important question, to be honest? And, you know, what are we learning about the quarterback? Where are we going with this team? Where are we going with this franchise? I've been talking about this. You know it. You're probably sick of me talking about it, Jody, all year. It's like, what are we learning? What are we, what did we learn about Jalen Hurts over the past couple of weeks? Not much. I already knew we could make plays uh, running the football. I already knew the unique part of his skill set. You know, you think about the somersault play, the third and four play. I thought that drive to tie the game against the Chargers, I've said it consistently, was the best drive of the season for the Eagles. And it gets whitewashed and, you know, footnoted because it doesn't matter because the defense let the Chargers take the entire 6-0-7, basically, with two seconds left off the clock and it doesn't matter. Um, But when you play the way they've been playing against Detroit and the chargers to win the football game in that week and that compartmentalized uh, seven days, it's probably the right thing to do as a head coach. I don't know if it's the right thing to do for this franchise right now. 
And that's the balance that the coach has to try and uh, come up with every single week. And you do have to specifically have flexibility to it, which is one of the things that I'll give Nick Sirianni credit for over these past couple of weeks. I was one who was questioning his play calling and his inflexibility that he seemed way over married to the passing game with uh, Mr. Hurt still trying to find his way and, and strike his balance uh, that he wasn't uh, giving him enough a break by running the football and establishing a run that would uh, give him an extra half a second every time he dropped back to pass. And he's absolutely uh, got away from the RPO game, which was such a staple of what the Eagles did for the se- first several weeks of the season. Yeah. Just let him run a regular play fake. So I give Sirianni credit that he has shown that uh, there are a lot of different ways to skin a cat. Yeah. I'm not sure what he's going to do this week. That, that yeah, is one of the not. tentative things that I have about this game. I think the Eagles are in a position to win the game this week. I think that coming off the very tough there, they're motivated. They're probably a little ticked off at themselves. They have played better on the road. I can go through a couple different reasons why I think the Eagles can win the game. The thing that's holding me back is I'm with you, John. I don't really know what Nick Sirianni's going to do as far as play calling goes. It will surely be affected during the game. I'm buoyed by the fact that I think he has shown here over his first nine games as a head coach flexibility that he's not, he's shown a hell of a lot more flexibility than his defensive coordinator has uh, to be able to adjust on the fly and make calls during the game and have several different options. Yeah, just don't, maybe when we get Brandon Cristal on next hour, you give us a little bit more information about the what the Broncos are doing and how they're capable of doing it. Maybe we'll have a better guesstimate as to. Yeah, how I mean, I, I, you know, in theory, mm-hmm. if you just look at the numbers, it's going to be tough to run conventionally against this football team. Now, I'm taking Jalen out of it. Jalen's going to get his running plays, going to get his running yardage because that comes off schedule, and that's tough to defend. But you know, people are really hyped up against Jordan Howard, uh, about Jordan Howard for the way he's played um, over the past couple of weeks and Boston Scott. I don't think they're going to be able to run, turn around and run the football against this team. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. Um, look at nine games, which is a pretty significant sample size. Well, they've done a pretty good job stopping that kind of stuff. Um, whereas the Chargers and uh, the Lions and, and the Raiders have not. And that proved to be true. So to assume one thing is going to be true and those three teams can't stop the run and the team coming in that can stop the run isn't going to stop the run doesn't make a lot of sense to me. So I, if I'm Nick Sirianni, I'm saying, eh, I'm probably not going to be able to hand the ball off to Jordan Howard and get that kind of effectiveness. Uh, so what am I going to do elsewhere Devontae Smith is finally clicking. Dallas Goddard is playing really well. Man, they got to get somebody else involved. It's probably not going to be Jalen Rager. Um, so it's got to be Quez Watkins. Uh, they got they got to get something going. All right, one more quickie before I want to uh, get a specific Denver point in. Could that extra uh, receiver be Tyree Jackson? And I'll be honest with you, I didn't pick up, but you were there, so you could uh, see that uh, the patterns he was running, if he was actually open, if he had made uh, some plays. He didn't get targeted. He played an X amount of snaps. We didn't even know he was going to be activated for the game, and he was. 
Um, but basically he was no factor. It's not a critique. It's just the facts of what transpired in the game last week. Um, more out of Tyree this week. Will they try and incorporate, make him somewhere a little higher on the reads that Jalen's supposed to uh, have at his disposal? Will this be a Tyree Jackson breakout week? I, I, no, I, I I think at some point you're going to see a, a specific play call for Tyree to get him involved. Uh, but as far as being a big part of the offense, no. I mean, he's still, as I said, he's still a developer. It doesn't have to be player. a big part of the offense to, to jump up the Eagle wide receiver uh, target no. list because not too many guys get targeted after Smith and Goddard. Well, they played a lot of 13 personnel against uh, the Chargers because they wanted to run the football, which is interesting because obviously Tyree is not <laughs> a blocker in theory. Um, so they had, you know, Jack Stoll played a lot as well. And I think Tyree had 14 snaps uh, in his first game, which is a lot. And obviously Dallas Goddard plays almost the entire game now. Um, so, I mean, they don't have a lot of snaps to begin with, but I hear what you're saying. They need somebody, but that somebody's got to be the guys who play. I mean, Quez Watkins played, he, he was the receiver most of the time they were in 13 right. personnel. So he was the only receiver on the field. He played most of the game. And I think he had three targets and two receptions for nothing, essentially. Uh, and then Rager has fallen off, and I think you know, uh, I I don't know what to say about Rager at this point. I think it might be ready to pull the plug uh, and just admit defeat. Uh, but from the Eagles' standpoint, it's like they can't even do that because the guys behind them are not worthy of being on the field. So it's kind of frustrating when we talk about the Broncos. I think. You know, the wide receiver position is the frustrating part of the Eagles. We talk about the defense from a personnel standpoint. Seems like everybody can find receivers except the Eagles. Now, they got Devontae, put Devontae on the side. But, you know, because Devontae is going to be a star in this league. And you you saw him break out uh, a little bit uh, against the Chargers. Had that, you know, little bit of a hiccup with the drops. But, you know, I always look at, I said it with you guys when I wasn't here, C.D. Lamb and Javon. It seems like the new breed of receivers, they're going to drop the football occasionally, but they're going to make a ton of plays as well. And I think Devontae Smith is in that category. But think about what they had to do to get him. They kept missing and missing. They got to double down at the position and keep, I mean, why can't they find a stinking receiver? As a compliment, John, how people are talking about John. Give me a break with John Hightower. John Hightower returned to the rescue. What are you talking about? Oh, it's it's awful, Jody. It is awful. So when we talk about Jalen Hurts not being able to throw the football consistently, and I think that's fair, um, but he also doesn't have receivers to throw. He's got Devontae Smith and Dallas Goddard, who are good and really good players, and then it just falls off a cliff. All right, and a, a quick aside, uh, and we got to take a time out and get hour number two underway here shortly. This was when I knew 
you and I were going to do a good job here on Birds 365. I'll try not injuring myself while patting uh, myself or you on the back here. <laughs> um, we started in April. You and I had done a whole bunch of spots on WIP. Yeah, I heard John with, I think it was Tony Bruno, Harry Mays. I said, damn, that guy's good. Reach out. Hey, you want to come on my WIP show? So you came on with me a bunch last season. I've already thanked you many times for that. And you do a great job on a radio spot too. So uh, our buddy Jill Krause thought you and I could do a good show together because he enjoyed listening to us so much on the radio. So they create Birds 365. Um, you go to practice every single day. I sit here and uh, run, run the show, uh, but you are the, the man with the information and the insight. Over the past two years, four years, six years, eight years, um, I think there are way too many Eagle reporters who get carried away. And to a lesser extent, Eagle fans, if you go back 10 years, 12 years, 15 years, when the Eagles actually used to have camp open and people could go watch themselves up at Lehigh and generate their own evaluations of players. Too many people, and fans are fans, shame on the supposedly educated media guys who should know better, would get so excited because what Eagle receivers look like in shorts. Oh, this guy, the breaks that you see on there, out of the break, his hands are... I used to say, okay, I'm glad they look good in camp. It's better than looking lousy in camp. But people were setting expectations on Eagle wide receivers because they looked great in shorts at Lehigh or they looked uh, great down at the Novacare complex for you media guys who get to actually watch all of the practice and the like. You didn't get sucked in, J.M. You didn't come on Birds 365 and tell us every day how good John Hightower looks. John Hightower is going to, this is the breakout year for John Or Travis Fulgham, that last month was not a mirage last season. He's going to pick up right where he left off. No, you said, man, Devontae Smith can run routes. He is so much better a route runner than anybody else in this Eagle camp. And that continues to be the case during the regular season. I got to give you your props because you did not fall into that trap of guys looking great in shorts in August that that's going to portend itself to be great uh, results come September, October, November, yeah. December. Well, it has uh, not. I, I think I said about Devontae when I first saw him, he looked like a different species than the receivers I've been watching in Philadelphia for years. Um, yeah, it was such, it was such a difference, such but I've had the opportunity to see some really good receivers over the years. I covered Randy Moss, Chris Carter, and Jake Reed. So I, I kind of know what a good receiver looks like versus uh, some, some other ones. But, yeah, I always look for route running, number one, because I think it's kind of a lost art. So if you look around the league, Amari Cooper, guys who can run routes, step on digs, uh, they they just have a huge leg up because so many guys can't and so many guys can't run it. And, and there's a lot of great athletes and, and they make plays just on their athleticism. But when you can combine the two, that's when you know you really got something. Those guys create unbelievable separation. And that's where Devontae, you see the separation. Um, even when he drops the foot, he's always open. Yeah. Um, and it's only going to get better. It's only going to get better as he, as the game slows down for him. Um, and as the Eagles get more proficient throwing the football, he's going to be able to put up some big numbers, but um, 
he also exemplifies what has been the problem for years and years and years. And even more so a team like Denver, as I said, who can they have good receivers. I mean, Cortland Sutton, I think, was a second round pick. You mentioned uh Patrick. I don't Patrick. even think he was drafted. Um Jerry Judy was a first round pick, hasn't, you know, fleshed out yet, but I don't think anybody's given up. He hasn't been Jalen Rager like or anything of that nature. Um you know, it seems like every city can find receivers. And this this organization has had a really, really difficult time doing it. Um, you know, I think people forget uh, Alshon Jeffrey was really good the Super Bowl year, fighting through injury, playing. But, I mean, he was he came in as a, a really good receiver. Um, it's been difficult from a developmental standpoint. And they've rotated through wide receiver coach after wide receiver coach after wide receiver coach. And, you know, as good as – and all the good I'm dumping on Devontae Smith and it's all deserved. The bad part of it, Jody, though, is that they hit on some of the other receivers. They could have went in a different direction. You know, you think about, okay, what if Micah Parsons is here? We talk about linebacker. Look at what he's doing. Look at how he's hit the ground running. So it all has sort of a a reverberation, a domino effect, a butterfly effect, whatever you want to call it, because they missed and missed and missed and missed that receiver. They had to go receiver again. Thank God they finally hit on one, but you get my point. All right, so here's the question, and then we got to get a break in here. They can do it. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call. Clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Again, if you you said I think about 15 minutes ago, they may have to just suck it up and realize Rigger's never going to be a a first round draft pick. He's not going to produce like a first round draft pick that you want. He could be a fourth wide receiver on this team going forward. Um, Quez is what Quez is free agency. That's something I do want to ask you about, but, uh, just draft first. Could they use, I won't even, uh, put the three first round draft picks first and or second round. We'll let them drop down into the second round again. If they want, could they use one of their top two round picks on a wide receiver again this year? I, you never say never because it's always about the player, but I would think wide receiver at this point because they, they have so many young players that haven't developed, I think they would go more the Alshon Jeffrey route. So I think they need a receiver, but I think they would go more towards free agency and somebody who's kind of proven himself somewhere else. He's John McBone. I'm Jody McDonald. We are the Macamac Guys here on Birds 365. Coming up in less than 20 minutes, Brandon Cristal, Broncos beat reporter, anchor for KOA Radio out in uh, Denver, will hop aboard with us and give us more info on the Eagles' opposition coming up this Sunday.
At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Messon Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Basketball is part of how we grew up in this city, and every morning, IBEW Local 98 members take their best shot building this city, rescuing our community from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are, like the Hawks who will never die. Local 98 members love tradition. John Doherty, business manager of Local 98, says it this way, the best way not to forget where you come from is to never leave. Go for the midnight dares. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. We are your MAGA MAGA guides here on Birds 365. John McMullen, Jonah McDonald, counting down the days to the Eagles and the Broncos. John, I said it before the season started. I've continued to kind of harp on it as well. Tale of two halves to the Eagles season this year. At least that's the way it looked on paper. When the schedule came out, it looked like a significantly harder first half than second half. And let me whine and bitch and moan one more time about the 17-game season in the NFL. It just screws everything up. Oh, it's terrible. There is no terrible. midway point. Yeah. You can't have well, an odd was, number of games. It was you got to have an even number of games. It was halftime at the Chargers game. It were, <laughs> dead, dead even of the season. Yeah, I'm with you. It's terrible. But we know what it's about. It's all about getting the extra money. And- oh, but here, here's the good news. It's about getting that extra money, which means it's only a matter of time before we had that 18th game. I'm telling you, it's coming. Oh, yeah. No question. Was it you who was on or was it when we had uh, BLG on yesterday? I specifically asked both Jeff Kerr and and Brandon Lee Gowton, how long are we going to have to wait before the 18-game schedule becomes the new norm for the NFL? One of them said three years. One of them said only two. Uh, How quickly do you think they're going to get to 18 games? I think it's going to be a little bit. I'll probably lean towards the three, whoever said that. I think because they they have this, you know, um, 
way they do business. You know, you have to pretend you're for safety uh, because of the potential litigation. So you have to pay lip service to that. Uh, but you also want the game, which is, you know, flies in the face of the safety aspect. So they tend to try to leave a little bit of time, hoping the, the, the more people can forget about the hypocrisy. It's, it's generally a strategy this league likes to employ. <laughs> but I'm hoping it's two rather than three. Sorry <laughs> for the safety of all you players out there. Yeah. I don't want to put you well, overly yeah. at risk. But... I, I, hey, with me on the safety part of it, look, if you're so concerned about safety, you probably shouldn't be playing football because it ain't safe. I got news for you. It's not safe. It's never going to be safe. Any way you slice it, you're putting yeah. yourself at risk. So, yeah, a little bit more risk is what I'm asking for because I want to get back to an even number of games. And there's no way they're cutting back to 16. So it is going to have to be another game added to get to 18. Uh, sorry to say that, uh, friends. Um, we were talking about the Eagles offense and what they're going to run on uh, this Sunday against the Broncos. The Broncos defense isn't star-studded. They did subtract Vaughn Miller. Chubb has been on IR all year long. Talk about being able to draft and or find players. Uh, the Denver general manager should be getting a ton of credit. I know that John Elway has stepped back from that position. Everyone always scrutinizes Elway about the quarterback anyway, that all the other moves that the Broncos make become well, irrelevant. Because Elway he's... hasn't been able. He, he got Peyton Manning to come yeah. over and win a Super Bowl for him, which he should get a lot of credit for, but he hasn't been able to pick the quarterback of the future there for years. But he and his underlings should get credit. They built a pretty damn good defense in Denver. Yeah. Well, George Payton is the uh, general matter. He just got there. So he's a first-year GM. Um, And, you know, we'll see what he can do moving forward. Had very well-respected guy. He was sort of like the new Eric DeCosti. Had about 100 interviews, and he never – he was always Rick Spielman's right-hand man and never left. Um finally decided to take this particular job. Um, And they're overachieving to this point. Um, It's a really difficult division, at least it projected to be that way. Uh, The Chiefs haven't been what we expect the Chiefs to be. And all of a sudden you look at their record and you say, wow, they're over 500. And yeah, I was looking at that defense because I, you know, Vic Fangio has the huge reputation and deservedly so. I mean, his Chicago defenses were unbelievable uh, the years before he got this job. Um, really, I mean, if Eagles could want a defense, it would probably be that defense, Eagles fans. Uh, the way they played, um, so aggressive. Um, you know, a lot of it personnel driven, as it always is with Khalil Mack and Akeem Hicks and um, – their ability to make plays on the back end. He he's one of those guys. If you talk about, you know, defensive minds and the two names I always hear, we always talk about one because Jonathan Gannon, the two names you hear is Zimmer and and Vic Fangio. Those are the two names that come up first when you talk to people in the NFL. Um, and I don't think either of them are good head coaches, but defensively, they know what they're doing. He knows what he's doing defensively. And it's hard to play defense in the modern NFL. I say it all the time. And he's one of the guys who seems to be ahead of the curve all the time. All right. So uh, let me ask you an Eagle defensive question. 
what's the possibility? Give me a percentage that the Eagles not only change their defense during this upcoming offseason. This season's going to play out over the next eight games. Defense is going to do what it's going to do, so you're going to have to make a little bit of a projection there. What's the chance with the roster being the shape that it's in that they change their defense from a 4-3 to a 3-4? That if they're going to take this thing down to the studs. Now, Jeff Laurie said last year when they let Doug Peterson go, it's a transition year. Well, they're trying to get some transition in this season. But if they say, yeah, you know, we got to take another step backwards, at least defensively for the next year, because we're going to change it up uh, pretty drastically and go to a 3-4. Any chance that happens, John? Uh, no, but I, I don't think that means as much as it once did because everybody, you know, and one of the things with Gannon has been, he has used multiple fronts. I mean, he's used five, uh, five man defensive lines in essence. Uh, he's used four, three looks, three, four looks. So they have, they have a multiple varied front and most teams in the NFL do, uh, today anyway. I think it's about how you utilize the personnel like if you had bond miller you should probably use him as a stand-up rusher um and some people might look at that as a three four but you know a lot of talk about fletcher cox of playing five technique and four eye technique and um essentially playing like a three four player in a four three that's been one of the issues with fletcher um and not being happy he just wants to play three technique um so I think a lot of that is overblown. I think it's uh, more about personnel than anything else. Um, and they don't have the personnel right now. Uh, like, you know, the best blitzer on this team has been Abonte Maddox, who is, um, you know, you mentioned he's had a good year. Um, you think he's been the Eagles' best corner. He's certainly having a career year. Uh, certainly having his best year. Um, and one of the things I've been pleasantly surprised about is his ability to blitz from that slot position. But when you think about great blitzers, um, you know, that's got to be Gennard Avery. That's got to be Alex Singleton. That's well, like, be... like I said, it will take some time. They're not just yeah. going to snap their fingers and be that Davion much of an improvement. Yeah. 3-4 defense. I'm talking about turning over the roster, too. Not just the philosophy, but a major roster yeah. turnover. Well, his history, John, Jonathan, you know, if you look at Minnesota and Indy, they're not going to run a traditional, what you would think traditional 3-4. But they are going to use varied fronts. Um, and he's already done that. Yeah, not a lot of it. Uh, it's been well, too much, if he has Fletcher. Yeah. He, he tries to throw a wrinkle in every once in a while yeah. to keep the other. If you ask up. Ryan Kerrigan, well, Ryan won't be honest about it, but he ain't, he's not playing. He not, he'd like to play in a three, four, but he's not playing uh, where he wants to play. So yeah, those are the criticisms I think that are legitimate. I think there's legitimate criticisms of Jonathan Gannon, you know, let Fletcher Cox play three technique. <clears throat> Let Ryan Kerrigan be an, an edge rusher. Um, on the back end, let Darius Slay play a little bit more press coverage. Um, 
but on the back end, I can't come up with much. <laughs> All right. Uh, let me, we'll finish it up with this one. Then we got to take a break. And Cristal from uh, Denver is going to join us, give us some Bronco insight. Uh, I'm going to make you Howie Roseman for a, a moment here under pretty distinctive situations. The Eagles have three first round draft picks. They have their own first round, uh, second round draft pick, which as of now looks like it could be relatively high. Let's say, top 10 somewhere around 10 could be eight could be 12 i think they're going to get better in this so certainly a top half of the first round um and that would of course affect their own pick in the first round who knows what miami and the Colts pick are going to be but let's say they have four picks in the first 45 picks of the draft okay you got three ones and a two let's say that they're going to take all three picks. They're going to use all three picks. They're not worrying about saving one for next round if they don't take a quarterback. They Just for the purpose of this conversation, they're using all four picks. And let's say when they step up, there is a player at a given position that would be fair value. They're not reaching to make any picks. Maybe they even get a little bit lucky. A guy falls down a little bit and they get value at that spot. Those four picks, three in the first round, one in the second. Give me the positions that they're filling. Well, uh, I mean, one is edge rusher, no question. Um, no, we're talking four, three defensive end. Yeah, well, I'm talking uh, just somebody who can get to the quarterback. But yeah, an edge guy, either a Von Miller type, or tradi- if you want to go three, four, or if you want to go four, three traditional, anybody who can get to the passer. Um, and that's why I, I use that term. Right, but I say a 4-3 defensive end just because how have their linebackers done at blitzing this year? I know that Well, uh, that's why that I, they don't I think, have guys who are good at it and they don't have talented well, players. I think, but that position has not lent itself to getting to the no. quarterback at all in Jonathan Gannon's defense here in year one. But one of the problems with the labeling of players, and that's why I think one of the good things about the so-called evolution of football. Most people don't use that term anyway. They use the term edge rusher because it's a better descriptive term. You're looking for a guy who can rush the passer off the edge. Off-ball linebackers, what I think you're talking about, that's what the Eagles haven't taken in the first round since Jerry Robinson. That's a different position. They need that position as well. That's a, a Micah Parsons position, although the Cowboys have used him as an edge rusher as well. And by the way, I'm surprised he's had so much success because he's he's short and he doesn't have long arms, which tells you how good of an athlete that guy is. Um, so I think those are better descriptive terms. They need – they're probably not going to have Steve Nelson back, so you're going to need another corner. You're going to need edge rusher first and foremost. Um, you need an off-ball linebacker, but we know they're not going to take one. Um that's just the history of this organization. And they need a safety, a big ball hawking type safety. They need a lot on the defensive side. And and there are others. They still need another defensive tackle. I I if you held me down, I would say Fletcher Cox probably ain't gonna be here next year. So but uh, they're they're gonna need a defensive tackle as well. 
they need a lot of help on the defensive side of the football from a personnel standpoint. You were four for four on the defense there, John. I, I knew it was going to be a minimum of a 3-1 breakout. Didn't know it was going to be 4 nothing, and or you're saying even 5 nothing that their first five picks. Go oh, they're the not going to do it, but they should do it. But they're not going to do it. I mean, they value, and they should. They value offensive line. Um and, and that's something they should. They're going to take a quarterback. I mean, I've been there. They're taking a quarterback. Um, yeah, hold, hold off on that. We got much to talk about that. All right. Uh, we got to take it. a quick quick timeout because I see Brandon Cristal is ready to join us. We'll get back on Eagles Broncos coming up on Sunday. Broncos, very impressive in their win over the Cowboys last week. Our buddy Brandon Cristal from KOA out in Denver is going to tell us how they pulled that off and what they can do against the birds this Sunday. Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass, free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Metson Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Basketball is part of how we grew up in this city. And every morning, IBEW Local 98 members take their best shot building this city, rescuing our community from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are, like the Hawks who will never die. Local 98 members love tradition. John Doctor. Business manager of Local 98 says it this way. The best way not to forget where you come from is to never leave. Go for the game. Go for the hits. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resorts. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that
God, the Mac and Mac guys. Got a big game coming up against the Broncos on Sunday. Here to lend some Denver insight. This guy's been covering them for years. He used to uh, actually try and make me look good on the radio or sound good on the radio. Uh, one of the best producers I've ever had. Now doing a great job on the air out there in Denver is the reporter and host uh, on KOA Colorado. Brandon Cristal joined us here on Birds 365. How you been, BK? I've been good, Jody. Uh, John, good to talk to both of you guys. Yeah, everybody in my house is sick. I do a podcast with Broncos defensive lineman Shelby Harris. Uh-oh. He's sick, so we didn't tape it yesterday. We're taping it today. It comes out every Thursday. We've done it 26 straight or 25 straight, so I had to skip that. He didn't get into that, but he's just a little under the weather. Brian Dawkins is going to join us. Doc has a new book out. He's sick down in Orlando. It's, just, oh. it's that time of year. Oh. Well, let's start there, Brandon, the defense, because obviously I think the Broncos are, you know, big fans. You know, I was talking about defensive minds. You talk to people in this league. He's one of the first that is going to come up. It's been a top 10 defense uh, throughout the year, second in points allowed. But you look at the defense from us, from the outside looking in, Von Miller's no longer there. Not a lot of big names. You mentioned Shelby Harris. Justin Simmons been a good player for a very long time on the back end. How is Vic doing this with this with this group? Well, th- this is, I guess, probably in, in some ways a, a coach's dream slash nightmare. But you take away the four starting linebackers to start the year, right? Bradley Chubb just can't can't get healthy, and it's going to be interesting because he's a, obviously a top five pick, and he's got one more year left on that fifth year option next year. But a lot of people thought he'd get a new deal before the the year started, both he and. Cortland Sutton I know we'll get to the offense but so you take away Chubb for now most of the year he's probably back their bye weeks next week after the Eagles game so they think he'll be back then Vaughn Miller of course you mentioned you take away a Hall of Famer and that's going to change the complexion of your D and there are two inside linebackers Alexander Johnson who's been their top tackler the last couple of years and Josie Jewell who's just a really smart player from Iowa that coach one of those guys coaches love right you're always looking for his replacement but coach doesn't want to take him off so your four linebackers have been out for now multiple games, if not almost the entire season. And you get, they actually got faster and more athletic because of a trade for a guy named Kenny Young, who the Rams wanted to dump because they didn't want to pick up his deal. And he was their second leading tackler. And then this kid, Baron Browning from Ohio state, who was the number one high school player before he left Texas and went to, went to Columbus and has just been up and down in his career, played inside, played outside in Columbus, and then hasn't played at all here. He was hurt all of spring all of training camp, start of the season. He gets healthy, gets a concussion after those other two linebackers go out. So he's finally playing. So you've got a bunch of linebackers. That's on the inside. On the outside, it's guys you haven't heard of that aren't worth talking about yet. Although this kid, Jonathan Cooper, a seventh rounder, had two sacks the other day. They think he might legitimately be their Vaughn Miller replacement, if you will. And so you start with the linebackers, which are in a lot of ways a key to a Vic Fangio defense. And the back end, you mentioned Justin Simmons, but Kareem Jackson's a vet, a hard hitter. They draft Pat Sertan Jr., who's looking like a, a you know a perennial Pro Bowl type of pick at one side, and then they had Bryce Callahan most of the year. He's banged up. Kyle Fuller's played like garbage until this past week, and <laughs> and then it's a, a bunch of guys up front that maybe you haven't heard of, but they, they make plays. I mentioned Shelby Harris, uh, Draymond Jones, the kid from Ohio State as well, third rounder that's really living in the backfield. BK, we've been talking a lot the last couple of weeks about Jonathan Gannon's defense here in Philadelphia, which is bend but don't break. Well, it didn't break against the Lions, but it's pretty much broken against everybody else. Uh, They don't give up big plays. They sit in a comfortable zone. They let quarterbacks pick them apart underneath. 
How would you describe the Broncos' defense? Is it aggressive, uber-aggressive, passive like the Eagles' defense? Just give us an overall uh, reading on what you think the Broncos are trying to achieve on defense and have been able to achieve on defense. Well, I, I think it's a credit to Vic Fangio. You talk about how well-regarded he is. And Brandon Staley's a head coach after just one year as a defensive coordinator in L.A. with – with Sean McVay because he came from the Vic Fangio treatment. My voice is getting worse by the second. Hang on one second. Sorry. <laughs> Thanks, Sip. There, good guy. They're, they're kind of a combination of everything, Jody Mack. They'll get aggressive when they need to and send blitzes when they need to, but they'll also disguise coverages, and I think that's what fooled Dak Prescott a little bit last week. What's funny is you look at what's going on with the Chiefs and their struggles, and people are trying to give different credit along the way. Go all the way back to how Vic Fangio played them with the Bears and then how he's played them with the Broncos. And the Broncos don't really get blown out by the Chiefs consistently. They lose every time now in the Patrick Mahomes era. But the game's always closer than you think. And that's the blueprint. Now you have to have the players to do it. You have to be able to get the pass rush and cover on the back end. But the the two high safety look, Vic was the first to do that and, and say, okay, beat us in the middle. And, and they still were able to. But uh, Vic Fangio is good at, I guess, unlike saying – this is what we do. No matter what, you're going to fit a square peg in a round hole at kind of being malleable to the opponent and keeping you guessing. Yeah, and Vic has done a great job. Now, offensively, and I think that's where he gets most of the heat when you talk about being a head coach. Now, they brought in Teddy Bridgewater to be the quarterback. <coughs> it seems like a dream scenario, Brandon, for Teddy Bridgewater, playing a defense that just lets – the guy completes 70% of his passes against everybody. And he's facing a team that gives up 80% when they have a quarterback with some accuracy. It, it, is it that dream scenario for Teddy Bridgewater? Um, is it check down Teddy? Is he trying to push the ball down the field? Well, it's been a little bit of both. And early in the year, I think he was second or third in the league. And maybe even at one point, number one in the league, it shots at 20 yards or more. And wow. he's also, you know, he's had, and I was through like the first four weeks maybe, but Jerry Judy got hurt. Cortland Sutton kind of looks – depends on the game. Sometimes he looks like the pro bowler from two years ago. Sometimes he looks like a guy who tore his ACL last year. And, and last week he only had one catch for nine yards in Big D, which is, I'm sure, frustrating for a kid that grew up in Texas and played his college ball at SMU. But bringing Jerry Judy back, they get Noah Fant back this week. He was on the COVID list last week. He has a lot of weapons. And I, I just don't think Teddy or a lot of quarterbacks have had weapons like this because Sutton's a legit pro bowler when he's healthy. Jerry Judy looks like a number one pick at times for sure. And then this kid, Tim Patrick, is going to get a $10 million contract somewhere, whether that's here or somewhere else. And then Fant and this other tight end, Albert O, are two of the three fastest tight ends in football. Darren Waller probably being the fastest. So he's got all that, plus the two running backs with Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams. So he certainly checks the ball down more than anyone would like to see and throw short of the sticks on third and seven, throws at six, and the guy gets tackled. That's happened enough to, you know, pull everybody in Broncos country's hair out. But he, he's a smart player that protects the football every game except the Raiders. He's had one or no turnovers, and then he's taken his chances. He's going to shatter his own personal touchdown mark, which last year was 15. He did 14 the first two years in Minnesota. He's at 14 right now, so he'll get into the 20s, and we'll see where he goes from there. But that, that's, I think, what makes Denver potentially appealing to an Aaron Rodgers type. Maybe they, they think they have a shot at Russell Wilson. Maybe they get in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Maybe they draft a young player. But they've got a lot of pieces on offense, and their whole line's been solid. They're just a little banged up right now. 
Eagles and Broncos will be competing this Sunday. They may be competing for those quarterbacks that Brandon just mentioned during the offseason, which may be even more compelling this, than this Sunday's game. I want to ask about one of the guys you specifically hit on, uh, Tim Patrick. I remember him at Utah. I saw him play a little bit coming out for the draft. One highly regarded, a big guy, nice target, but didn't have breakaway speed or anything like that, has become, as you just said, a potential $10 million receiver with the kind of numbers that you put up for the Broncos last year. And again, this year, who broke this kid out? Who should be getting credit for what he's accomplished coming from uh, a non-powerhouse wide receiver factory like Utah? Well, yeah. And the Ravens had him first and they let him go. And I know he was looking forward to getting a little revenge against the Ravens. And and that just fell apart because they were without the starting guards and it wasn't a good game when Lamar Jackson and company came to town, but He's a kid that's just kind of quietly worked, and he lived with Garrett Bowles his his rookie year. I say rookie year, his first year when he was on practice squad the entire year, and then he got called up, and he's a good special teams player, good gunner, and he just doesn't drop many passes. I think last week might have been the first targeted pass that he's dropped in two seasons, a ca- catchable pass, I should say, catchable pass. You know, quarterback throws eight yards over your head. That's mm-hmm. not a drop. It's not a miss. Uh, and so – he tried to tell us during the year, and, and I kind of called him on it. This was in a press conference. He's like, oh, I'm probably the fastest guy on the team, or one of them. And I was like, hang on. And this is when K.J. Hamler, who's one other weapon that we didn't mention, yeah. he's got the torn ACL, but Penn State fans certainly remember K.J. and all his speed. It's like, ah, I'm pretty sure K.J. and Jerry Judy are faster than you. But I asked a friend who's a personnel guy, and he goes, no, he might actually be in straight line speed the third fastest guy. So he, he, doesn't, he doesn't drop the ball. He's big. He's 6'4". And then he, you know, he catches the ball in tough spots too. He's had no problem going across the middle. So there's a line of thinking around here that instead of having to pay Cortland Sutton 16, 18, 19 million, like you're having to play frontline guys when you have Jerry Judy, who is certainly taking the step last year, he had the, the drop issue, but he hasn't really dropped much this year. He just needs to get the ball more. Uh, and he and Teddy with that South Florida connection or whatever on the same page that with Jerry Judy, with Hamler coming back with those young tight ends, you say, Cortland, Hey, we'll offer you a, a competitive deal, but we're not going to break the bank for you because we have Tim Patrick here and we'd rather give him 10, 11 million bucks instead of giving you 18 or 19. That that could end up happening. That way they can spend the money somewhere else. What What's it been like, Brandon, they, the Broncos bring in George Payton to be the GM. So you have a coach in place. You bring in a GM after. You still have John Elway. I think everybody around this league looks at Denver and saying, well, that's probably the place Aaron Rodgers is going to go if he leaves Green Bay. What is going on with the with the front office and, and big status and moving forward? Uh, because obviously, you know better than me, but it certainly looks like John Elway may be thinking about trying to recreate Peyton Manning at the end of his career and trying to go for the Super Bowl that way. Well, I, I would think that the only reason John Elway's still around is because they like having him around. I'll, I'll be honest, and I talked to him a few weeks ago. He is He's in the office more than people think, but John has – I'm not trying to dismiss his role. He's become a figurehead. They owed him $6 million bucks. They're not going to fire John Elway. But John certainly hasn't missed too many tea times. I think he is stopping by the <laughs> office before or after he's playing golf, and I think he'd tell you that. When I saw him, he's like, oh, I love my job. I was like, yeah. You're getting $6 million to not work, really. George <laughs> makes all the calls. This is this is a George Payton show. Now, look, when they're going to trade Vaughn Miller, they want John Elway that day. They want him one to talk to Vaughn. He's the one who drafted Vaughn. And he's John Elway. You're talking about, without question, the, the, the face of the franchise forever and, and the, certainly the most important player. And maybe the second most important 
player, certainly defensive player, with apologies to my favorite, Steve Atwater, and to one of my favorite people, Champ Bailey, and and even going back, you know, guys before that that, that aren't necessarily in the Hall of Fame yet, but should be Randy Gratichard, Carl Mecklenburg, and, and even Louis Wright. It's it's all about Vaughn Miller, I think. When you put a trophy in the trophy case, that puts you at the top of the list. So John's around, but <clears throat> excuse me, it is George Payton's show, and that's where you have to give a lot of credit. John and, and Matt Russell, who was his right-hand man, certainly built a, a couple of nice draft classes up that are playing, but George Payton's draft class is looking like a home run because of how well Sertan's playing because of how well Javante Williams is playing. The kid you're going to see at guard Quinn Miners. He's a kid that all week at, at the senior bowl had his belly out. They made him yeah. tuck his belly away when practice started. Like, Hey, you know, get on the field first before everyone's seen your, your pasty white belly from Wisconsin whitewater <laughs> uh, of all places. Baron Brown and the other third rounders now a starting middle linebacker. And then this kid, Caden Stearns from Texas is a fifth rounder. Got a couple picks. He's got a couple sacks of Lamar Jackson. He was in the, in the dime blitz package. And I mentioned Jonathan Cooper may end up leading the team in sacks. So George Payton has really done a good job in the draft. And then I mentioned Kenny Young, Stephen Weatherly is another guy they traded for. So the, it's an attractive roster. I would keep John Elway around because he's John Elway. Maybe you cut a salary in half. It, it, and instead of paying $6 million, he's getting $3 million just to be – president of football operations or maybe he moves on and he's just around as a special consultant or whatever so you can bring him in when Aaron Rodgers is visiting uh if they give him permission to go seek trades so he can take Aaron to dinner or be part of that so it excuse me uh, George Payton the power structure of Vic Fangio George was in Minnesota forever with Rick Spielman and that's one of the reasons he liked what Denver was one it's a not a head coach that's going to tell you what to do right he wasn't going to a situation like that but he saw how good Vic's defenses were in Chicago with John Fox and, and then Matt Nagy. And he's not, he, he didn't come in to fire Vic. He came in to win games. And Pat Shermer's a guy he was with in Minnesota, and that's who's calling the plays now, obviously. So he's not, he's not sitting there with his finger on the button. I will say this. Had the game, the score been the other way, and they'd been down 30 to nothing against the Cowboys, there's a chance Vic Fangio wasn't going to be on the sidelines against the Eagles or after the bye week. But now it's a question of, is he saving his job? Is everybody saving their job? Because they beat the Eagles. They're six and four going to the bye week. In this division, five of the last seven games are in the division. Two Chiefs, two Chargers, one Raiders all have problems. And then the Bengals, who we thought were the best team in football, might be the worst team, or the Lions, who are the worst team. So Vic's <laughs> record may end up being may end up being better than than people expected when they're three and four and drop four straight. And if he has nine, 10, 11 wins, I know that's saying a lot. It's hard to fire a guy like that. Agreed. And you mm -hmm. gave us a great uh, wide view picture. Let me get that really narrow focus. They trade Vaughn Miller, whether it was uh, the general manager, the, the president, John Elway had to be consulted. Before. They traded Vaughn Miller, a guy who may someday be a Bronco Hall of Famer. Not they got two and, two, uh, <laughs> two and three in exchange for him. So they got fair compensation. Didn't get blown away, but the whole money thing, they paid it off, but they get out from under it next year. There's a complexity to the trade. But they traded Vaughn Miller. Usually when that happens, the team takes a step back when they lose as talented a player as him. They go out and go up 30 to nothing on the road against the Cowboys, who had only one loss. How did that happen? Who should get credit for that players, coach, the entire organization? And it may only last one week. If the Eagles go out there and beat it by two touchdowns, you'll be back to, on your show talking about how quickly can they fire Vic Fangio. It does swing that drastically in the NFL. How'd they do what they did last week? Yeah, you know, it's it's a good question because 
I don't know if they have the answer, if they found some secret sauce. Like I mentioned, some of those young players coming into their own a little bit more. And the ball bounced their way. I don't know how much of the game you guys saw. And, you know, it's hard on an NFL Sunday. And I think the Eagles and Chargers were at the same time, right? Yep. So yeah. so you have to go back to game pass and watch it. But there were just a number of plays. And, and Jody knows, John, you may not. Uh, I'm from Dallas. I'm a Cowboys fan. I'm sure if I looked hard enough somewhere around here, I've got an autographed Cowboys mini helmet. Uh, that I'd just be hiding. <laughs> hey, uh, because, time, look, I grew, I grew up in Cowboys Dallas. Fan. Yeah, they, they won three Super Bowls when I was in high school. So uh, it – I certainly keep track of every Cowboys game. This was just a confluence of events where the Cowboys go for it on fourth and one in the, in the plus side of the field, just a total disrespect to the Broncos offense. They get a stop in, in, in the run game. Justin Simmons flies up and tackles Zeke Elliott. Then they go for it again on fourth and two on a out on an out route. Justin Simmons makes another play. So they go the other way and they score. And this, they're able to score again and it's at 13, nothing, but then the Cowboys come out and they get a big sack, block a punt, but the, the punt is touched by an Eagles player beyond the line of scrimmage. Cowboys get it, or the Broncos get it back, and the Broncos go down the field after the Cowboys player touched it and score there. Amari Cooper, there was one drop where it was easily a first down. I remember watching the replay. Uh, as they show the replay, there's nobody in the picture even. Like, there's no defenders, no, and he just drops it clear as day. Tony Pollard had a big drop. C.D. Lamb had it. It was just one of those days where everything was going the Cowboys' way. Teddy Bridgewater rolls out. There's an offsides on the other side. It wasn't one of those where he takes the free play and takes the shot and, and throws it downfield. He doesn't see the offsides, rolls right, throws a bad pick in the middle of the field, but there was an offside. So that got back. So just one of those days. I think they play that game again, and seven, eight times the Cowboys probably win. So I'm not sure we saw a Super Bowl preview necessarily, but it's still a huge win. And when you're up 30 nothing in Big D with Dak healthy, they had just come off that Sunday night win. Uh, I think that – it may have been a little addition by subtraction only in as much as there was stuff going on in the locker room with Vaughn. I think he was just kind of over everything. You had those four straight losses after the three wins against subpar teams. And then there was issues with the Halloween party and him wanting money from his teammates. And, and some of those details have been out there. Some more probably won't ever get out there. Uh, but it, look, he he's going to be in the hall of fame. Jody said, maybe John, you said, definitely. He's definitely gonna be in the hall of fame. He'll be in the Broncos ring of fame, but he's 32, 33 and doesn't necessarily connect with all these kids that are 22, 23, 24. Some of the older guys, I think you don't have a problem with, but you know, you don't necessarily see the world the same when you've been doing it 10, 11 years. And he's telling these guys, I know how to win and all this. He had a really strange press conference uh, on the Thursday before he got traded talking about the guys in the locker room, not knowing how to win and, and all this stuff. So look, I love Vaughn. I wish he was still here. I wish he would finish his career and maybe he does. Maybe he comes back. Uh, he, he cited Shannon Sharp, goes to Baltimore, wins the Super Bowl, comes back. So we'll see. But but right now it feels like there's just a, a bit of a a weight lifted off the team, even if they got worse on the field, you know, just obviously. Well, Brandon, you mentioned a lot of things going right for the Broncos in, in Dallas. Um, a lot of young players maybe uh, taking the next step consistency is a big part of the NFL. You know, when young players have that big game, they start uh, feeling themselves a little bit. Is this a potential trap week for, for the Denver Broncos? Absolutely, John. With the with the bye week on the other side, oh, we just went to Big D, look how good we are. And then, you know, I, I mentioned the injuries off the top. We'll see when they, they hit the practice field this afternoon, how many of those guys who were just Wednesday 
you know, do not, do not practice, did not practice. We're just nursing stuff versus can't really go, but they will be without Garrett Bowles. Very likely kid that filled in for him. Uh, Calvin Anderson's a, a, a pretty good young player that they like, and will probably end up being the right tackle long-term, but their right tackle has got a sprained ankle. Uh, they're without the right guard now the rest of the year. And so uh, Malik Reed, who's a guy I haven't mentioned yet, he was a team's leader in sacks last year. This is a guy undrafted out of Nevada that everybody was hoping or is hoping will be the next Shaquille Barrett because they're both undrafted Mountain West guys. He led the team in sacks last year with eight. He's played more football than an undrafted rookie probably should in the last couple of years because Bradley Chubb missed 12 games two years ago. Vaughn Miller missed 16 last year. And both of them missed pretty much every game except for one half against Jacksonville when Chubb was out there. So, but Reed had to put uh, miss last week with a hip strain. So they're just kind of banged up everywhere. But I think you, you absolutely have to worry about it being a trap game. And if you're Vic Fangio and Teddy Bridgewater, you know, and we talked about Teddy, the quarterback, Teddy, the leader is what's been really impressive. And I didn't know this because Teddy was talking, he would talk to us during camp and say, you know, I was talking to my great mentor, talking to my great mentor. We're like, who's this great mentor? Like who's his sensei? Well, so somebody asked him uh, after the, after the game in Minnesota in the preseason, Hey, who's your great mentor? He goes, Oh, Bill Parcells. <laughs> and so he talks to Bill Parcells via text all the time. Really? They got connected through Abram Elam, the longtime DB played in Cleveland and Dallas. He and Parcells uh, remain friends after they were together in Dallas. And he is an advisor uh, marketing guy with a lot of players like Jacoby Brissett being one of them and, and with Teddy. And so he connected Teddy and Parcells. So Teddy has this leadership stuff and he'll say it on the podium. It's almost, it's almost Russell Wilson like, and that it's a little robotic and a little rehearsed, but talking to his teammates, that was the stuff nobody knew about. All you knew about was his production. And obviously he keeps getting opportunities to play. So it's like, okay, what what can this guy do? It'll be really interesting to see what happens with those other quarterbacks in the off season. I know I've taken you a whole different way. You're asking about a trap game, but if none of them end up in Denver, if Teddy Bridgewater, ends up with 28 touchdowns, nine, 10-ish wins, and, and you know, 28 touchdowns against 10 picks, how do you not at least consider bringing that guy back if you don't have a better option? Even if you go draft yeah. a kid first round, say, hey, Teddy. Well, yeah, Bridges, Bridges can go more than a year. I, w- I would have thought it was Zimmer that helped Bridgewater up with Bill Parcells because he's a, he's a yeah. huge Bill Parcells guy. Yeah, m- maybe, although the only reason I know that is because I went to lunch with Abraham Elam and he told me that they he connected us, so. <laughs> Because oh, Bill, Bill's in South Florida. Uh, Bill yeah. is, a, is down in South Florida, I think, part of the time, probably when he's not watching horses up in Saratoga, right, Jody Matt? <laughs> exactly right. All right, let me tie two things together here. Um, Bill Parcells and the Broncos with Teddy Bridgewater as a side dish. Uh, Bill Parcells famously said, you are what you said your record. You are what your record says you are. And the Broncos are five and four. And the Chiefs are five and four. And the Chargers are five and three. And... Uh, the Raiders are five and three. Everyone in the division's got five wins. You got four teams. They all got five wins apiece. Two of them have one less loss because they already had the bye. What's going to decide this division? That's a, a great question. And, you know, the NFL sometimes just gets stuff right unintentionally, or maybe that there's a lot of thought that goes into it. But having all those division games late, especially in week 18, week, well, it was week 17, now week 18, I think it's going to be great across a bunch of divisions, right? Uh, when Derrick Henry went down and the way the Colts were playing, I thought, okay, maybe the AFC South will be up for grabs. Probably not. We know the NFC East is likely going to go to the Cowboys, but, but I think a bunch of these divisions are going to go, are going to go down to the wire. NFC South probably being a really exciting one with the Saints and, and Bucks and what they're doing. But the AFC West, you can make a legitimate case right now 
that the three teams that aren't the Broncos could win the division based on how they've played and who their quarterbacks are. And the Broncos, based on what they did against the Cowboys, say, well, they're not going to be an easy out. And like I mentioned, they go to Kansas City in three weeks. Uh, so the bye week, then you get the Chargers here. Could be a win. They've beaten the Chargers here plenty, even last year with Justin Herbert. Then they go, or maybe they won there and lost here. Either way, they beat the Chargers at least once last year. Uh, but then they go to KC. I don't know what to make of Kansas City right now. It's it's mind-blowing because I'm as big a Patrick Mahomes fan as there is, and their defense is atrocious. But the fact that it's it, it's like he's reverted to some of his Texas Tech stuff where he knows he has to make plays to win, but he's not making enough you know, of the smart plays and just taking what's there. And the Chargers certainly have their own growing pains and maybe a rookie coach and, and a young quarterback that, isn't ready to, to be anointed yet as a perennial pro bowler, but you have to like him. And the Raiders had two huge wins, but then a terrible loss, I think, at the Giants. I know the Giants obviously are pros too, and I like Joe Judge, uh, but it, it feels wide open. So I I don't know what it'll take to win the division. I, I guess it'll take the Chiefs continuing to play the way they're playing, right? Because otherwise yeah. it's hard not to pick Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, Tyree Kill, and there's an outside chance they land out Odell Beckham Jr. I don't know if that'll be – a big bump, but it's certainly somebody you have to account for on the football field. So if he ends up there, you have to like the Chiefs even more. But their defense isn't getting better. It's not like uh, the late Derek Thomas or our pal Neil Smith is walking through that door to help out. So I, I don't know how you fix it. And I don't know if Andy Reid can keep Steve Spagnola after this year, although part of it to the Par- Parcells thing, you're only as good as your ingredients, right, if you're a chef in the kitchen. And Spagnola can only do so much, right? You can't make chicken salad out of chicken, you know what, if it's, if it's too much of it. Brandon, uh, the last one for me. Thanks for pushing through as well. Uh, I think my voice has gotten better. Yeah, yeah. it's gotten better. Getting, Absolutely, yeah. Finishing up strong. I'm on the mend. Yeah. <laughs> now, Jalen Hurts, I want to hear, because I don't know, we're through nine games here in Philadelphia. I don't know what the heck the Eagles have in Jalen Hurts. What does Big Bangio think the Eagles have in Jalen Hurts? Any intel from that side of the fence? If you want, if you'll give me 10 seconds, I can play what Vic Fangio said about Jalen Hurts yesterday because I have it queued up right here. So you want to hear what Vic Fangio said about Jalen Hurts? Free uh, edit, Deb. Please feel free. Let's see. Let's see. So real quick, let me find – here's Vic talking about Jalen Hurts yesterday. Okay. Uh, Oh, here it is. Right here. All right. Ready? How many of you all can hear this? Good quarterbacks. Oh, hang on. I got to do one more thing. Here we go. <laughs> right. Live YouTube action. Live or it's 365. Uh, now, to be fair, every quarter, every coach ever has told you how much yeah. they like quarterbacks yeah. and like, uh, you know, they're a good you team. Gotta, I don't care you got to holds it up. We know that. Yeah. Gotta, I don't care what the record says it is. I know they're 0 7, <laughs> but they're a good football team. So <laughs> there, I'm going to switch my. Uh, there, let's see if we can get this. Uh, All right, waiting on Vic Fangio on Jalen Hurts yesterday. Oh, is... are you not hearing it? No, no. we're not hearing it. No, so so you're going to paraphrase it for us, Brandon. Anyway, tell us important. what he said. I'll tell you what he said. Yes. Great, great arm, moves around a lot, great in the RPO game, all that, all this stuff. I'll tell you what I think of Jalen Hurts. I just don't think he's a, a everyday NFL quarterback, and I've talked to enough people around the league. I think that he is a guy that you're happy to have a backup as a backup and have a, he certainly brings a dimension with his legs that, that is coveted and hard to find. You know, there's a few more guys that can run the way he does and the RPO stuff like he, he ran it in college, especially at Oklahoma uh, is, is a challenge I think for any defense, but 
I, I just don't know if he can make enough plays to win you enough games, right? And his decision-making, and you see inconsistency with with his completion percentage, if you will, or, or his ability to complete easy passes. So I'd probably have a better sense after, if, I, if I would have taped uh, my podcast with Shelby Harris last night and giving you a little more insight there. But I can't imagine Vic's looking at him the same way he looks at Patrick Mahomes or even Justin Herbert just yet. I would like like to know what Eagles fans think. You know, one of my best friends in the world uh, is a huge Eagles fan from just outside of Philly and Delaware, and he and I talk every week. We talk almost every day. And he's not on board with Jalen Hurts. And I feel like I've talked to enough people that have been around the organization. And, you know, uh, James Palmer, who covers the NFL Network, obviously his dad, uh, Scott, right? Uh, You know, James will will be a little nicer about it, I think, publicly. But I I don't think – I don't think talking to people he's talked to there, the sense I've gotten talking to him a little bit is that, that they think Jalen is a, an every down NFL quarterback. So we'll, we'll see, we'll see how much Vic can fool him. Because the Birds 365 opinion is still to be determined. We yeah, haven't written yeah, him off. I mean, look, we I, haven't put him on a pedestal yet. So, and this week will be a key week because he's going yeah. up against good defense that you guys have out there in Denver. All right, that BK, we're wrapping on this. Yeah, all right. You're a Cowboy fan. We admitted today. You're a former Jayhawk. We'll admit to that. <laughs> if I remember as well, you're also an Oklahoma wonk. Even though they were the competition in the Big 12, you always put the Sooners on too big. I like Bob Stoops. Bob Stoops was cool to me uh, when I worked in Oklahoma City. So. Okay. Uh, good dude. And Stoops was a hell of a coach. What's going to happen to Spencer Rattler? He was supposed to be the number one pick of the yeah. draft this year. Now he's not even starting for them. Is he going to the transfer portal? Gotta and be gonna a be portal the, the Jalen Hurts thing out of Alabama yeah. and go somewhere else and make himself an NFL quarterback? Is he gonna go into the draft? What do you think's gonna happen? You're an Oklahoma guy. What do you think happens with Spencer Rattler? Well, I think he's kind of at a, a crossroads, right? That goes without saying, but Unlike Jalen Hurts, nobody was convinced Jalen Hurts was a first-round pick, top quarterback kind of pick. And whether Spencer Rattler is that or not, that's certainly where he was on the Mel Kiper big board type, you know, rankings that are out there heading into the year. And then this kid, Caleb, Caleb Williams, comes in and, and had a heck of a game against my Jayhawks. Actually, not a terrible game, heck of a play on fourth down where he took the ball from the running back that extended the game and won it for him. But – if I'm Rattler, I, I have to go somewhere else now, right? You've got this kid that, that has taken your job. Lincoln Riley's moved on. You know, I think they appreciated him while, while he was there. The question is, where does he go? And with the transfer rules, can he get on the field? And, and how quickly, you know, can he play and, and remake himself? The, the issue with Rattler talking to guys that, that have, you know, scouted him, and certainly in Denver they have, is that he just doesn't make enough. It's similar to Patrick Mahomes, enough of – and not Mahomes in general, but Mahomes right now, not taking the the easy the easy play that's there, always wanting to dazzle you. And he can make plays that that nobody else can. And the other knock against him is his size. Now, when Russell Wilson comes back, and if he gets the Seahawks back in the playoffs, and Kyler Murray has Arizona in the playoffs, and you've got all these guys that are under six feet or right at six feet, I say all the couple that are starting making plays, that'll help Spencer Rattler. But in, in, unless unless he, I, I think can convince somebody if you can't hold your job at OU how are you going to hold your job in the NFL right so I I think that he has to go somewhere else and then the question just becomes okay where maybe he goes to USC right maybe he goes maybe he goes somewhere that's a a, you have to go to a big-time program right you can't go to Montana State but goes to a big-time program and does what Justin Fields did or even Joe Burrow right it's crazy that Justin Fields beat out Joe Burrow and look at where both those guys are 
BK, great stuff. Good catching up with you, my friend. Feel free to put that cowboy thing. Uh, you were smart to not have it's it. Somewhere. Uh, it's it's a Michael Irvin autographed mini. No, 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 no. It's very good. This is a Philadelphia <laughs> show. You don't want to be showing off that cowboy thing here. Yeah. Uh, it's great catching up with you. And buddy. that's a Tom Brady autographed Patriots on that's worth noting. Yeah, so man. otherwise, you know, my Hall of Fame. Oh, you didn't even really see this one. What, where? What the hell was that? Hall of Fame. Hall of, Hall of Fame. Fame. Very yeah. good. Very cool. Gerald Davis, Jan Bailey, Willie Rofe, all my guys. Mm, my, yeah, my buddy that I call pals. John nice Randall, name. Andre Reed. John, John Randall. He'll be passing That's that along. Guy. Passing that along to his son one of these years. Uh, Brandon, good stuff. Thanks much. Appreciate you hopping on board. Uh, we'll do it again down the road. Uh, good to see you, buddy. Hey, thanks, Thanks, Jared. thanks Jody. Brandon Cristal did an outstanding job. Talk about knowing his Dolph, his Broncos inside and out. Uh, Brandon does a great job. He's got the KU. Him. He's still there. He's got the KU. He's got the Jayhawk. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He's a he's a Jayhawk grad, former Dallas guy, Oklahoma. He's kind of been around, uh, Krita. Yeah. And he got stuck producing my shows in two different uh, spots. Good dude. And uh, gave us some great Bronco insight. And he gave us something to hang our hat on. Johnny Mack, the look ahead game. For the yeah, I'm starting. I'm starting to buy into that. Yeah, a lot. A lot of, everybody's sick out there. I'm not looking forward to going out to Denver. Everybody's <laughs> sick. But uh, yeah, yeah keep, I'm keep starting to buy into this. Keep your distance from Brandon in the uh, press box on Sunday. Uh, John McMullen, Jody McDonald coming back. We need to put a bow on this show here on Birds 365. Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. What's that? Uh, a rocks glass? You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Holy shit. And you're telling me I can get one of these glasses for free? That's right. One free rocks glass per customer with each first-time purchase of Stateside Vodka. So good, it just disappears. When it comes to the fight against insurance companies, large corporations, and the healthcare industry, injured victims are always the underdog. But that doesn't worry us. At Messon Associates, we're an injury law firm from Philadelphia, and we come to fight. Our clients know that they've got representation with a chip on its shoulder, and it's the same chip that makes Philly the toughest city in the country. Call 215-568-3500 or visit us online at messalaw.com. Metson Associates, the toughest injury firm in Philadelphia. Basketball is part of how we grew up in this city. And every morning, IBEW Local 98 members take their best shot building this city, rescuing our community from decay, and inspiring the young men and women of the region to take pride in who we are, like the Hawks who will never die. Local 98 members love tradition. John Dockerty. Business manager of Local 98 says it this way. 
The best way not to forget where you come from is to never leave. Go for the midnight tears. Go for the game. Go for the hit. Go for the fans. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. At Stateside Vodka, every new customer gets the world's best rocks glass. Free. You're telling me that bottle is cut in half? You could say that. Out of time for this episode of Birds 365, which was episode number, I wrote it down again, 154, Johnny Mac. I thought maybe you would uh, get a little discombobulated after the Key West trip. No, I wrote them down on the calendar. I I, I can't keep them in my head. I got to write it down. (laughs) Otherwise, I will certainly screw it up. Show episode number 154, Birds 365, successfully almost in the, the folder. Um, I'm going to end today's show with a request. Uh, first of all, some thanks. Uh, yesterday, I got Brandon Lee Gouton to come on the show. Today, we had Brandon Cristal to come on the show. So I'm asking you to reach out to your good buddy, Brandon Graham, and see if he'll come on the show. So we can have three consecutive Brandons. This is all Brandon all the time week here on Birds 365. So all you got to do is get Brandon uh, Graham to come on the show tomorrow. You got a shot there, Johnny Mike? Uh, maybe at some point, maybe in the off season, you know, Brandon's contractually obligated to a certain radio station that you know very well. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, so that I, I said it with tongue half implanted, yeah. if not fully implanted in cheek, knew it wasn't happening tomorrow. Can you ask Michael K to change his name to Brandon or perhaps find out if his middle name is Brandon? Yeah, Mike was going to be on. Uh, Mike was going to be on. What day was that? The yesterday. Yeah, was the Comcast Tuesday, day. The Comcast day. And he uh, has tentatively rescheduled for tomorrow. So hopefully we have Mike K tomorrow. Okay. And his middle name may be Brandon. We'll find out if that's the case. Uh, so. We'll say it. We'll go with it. Mike uh, Brandon exactly. K. Michael Brandon uh, K to join us yeah. uh, here on Birds 365. All right. Well, who you got? Uh, who you talking to today? You got anything today? Yeah. Practice today, uh, 1245. Interviews at 1130. But those are, you know, hit and miss. Whoever they bring out, that's who we get. We'll see. Hopefully you get someone good for the defense that we can talk about tomorrow. Uh, good show today, buddy. Looking forward to talking to you again two, uh, 22 hours from now. Uh, appreciate it much. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.